This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, when all has been heard, in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Well, good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Is this microphone working okay? Okay, very good. <clears throat> It's uh, exciting to be here at another GYC. How many of you are first-time attenders for GYC? Whoa, are you serious? Wow, praise God. You are really going to be blessed. GYC has been a highlight for me for, I don't know, probably the last 10 years or so. Just, it's just such a blessing every time I come. Anyway, I'm um, privileged and honored to be here and excited about what I'm going to be talking about today. Above and beyond living and praying, as you saw in your booklet, I'm going to be talking about keys to personal revival. Now, I'm really convinced that the enemy does not want us talking about personal revival. He doesn't want us talking about prayer or anything that's going to help clear the roadblocks between us and God. And... Um, I just see, I just see that all the time, different places I go and things that happen. And the reason also I'm saying that is, is just like a day ago, I came down with this really <laughs> strong head cold. And I was like, well, I guess, you know, he doesn't want me to get up and speak, but I'm going to anyway, and God's going to bless. So anyway, it's a blessing to be here. Before I have a word of prayer, I think um, I always like to hear just a little bit just a synopsis really quick where speakers are from and all of that so I just share this in the very beginning I grew up as a country girl in the Ozarks of Arkansas and um, parents had a big garden a big farm I had uh, just loved it out there in the country I had two younger brothers I should say I have two younger brothers and the picture on the right is back um, about the time I was in high school so you can see that I'm significantly uh, older than my brothers and the this last picture is about five years ago and this picture is a current picture um, both my brothers are married now um, the one on the right just got married and his wife is not 12 by the way <laughs> she's 18 she is very young but anyway they just got married this summer and my brother on the right he and his wife are expecting a baby so I don't know about you, but I've just been very blessed to grow up in a supportive family. And if I had my choice, I would be with my family in the Ozarks um, there on the farm. But I really believe that Jesus is coming soon and that we don't have much time. And I want to be ready and I want to help as many people be ready for his coming as possible. And so because of that, he's called me to different places that I probably would not have go gone. Um, if I was just choosing myself, but I'm, I'm really in earnest. Currently, my mission field is in uh, Silver Springs, Maryland um, with the church, and that's the last place I ever thought I would be. I'm going to share more of my testimony later about that, but I just praise God for his goodness because I have seen in my life truly his plans and his choices for us are better Amen. than what we would choose for ourselves. Amen. You know, this is not necessarily what I would think or want, but God says, I know what is needed. And you seek me with all your heart. You are going to have the best. So anyway, uh, with that, let's go ahead and um, bow our heads for a word of prayer because I have a lot of things to share today, and I'm just praying I can cram it in in the time we have. So bow your heads with me if you would. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for the opportunity to be here um, with these young people at GYC and I'm just praying father that this will not be like any normal GYC but father that this will be a life-changing event for us father that we will not leave the same way that we came that you will break us that you will open our hearts to our desperate desperate need of you and father that you will fill us with what you alone can give us Father, I just submit to you this morning, I'm just asking that you would forgive me of my sins. I'm asking that you would cover me with your righteousness. Father, you know I don't have what I, I need to share today, but you do. And I'm just seeking to hide behind the cross and just asking that you would be glorified. 
Father, we don't have much time, and I'm just praying that you would open our hearts, that there would be nothing between us and you, that we can truly be ready for your soon coming. Remove doubt, remove unbelief. Father, give us eyes to see the God that you are, the God that you want to be in our lives today. Please help us, Father. Thank you for hearing this prayer in your precious name. Amen. Apologize again for those of you that are just coming in that I am fighting a head cold, but I praise God that he can work even through our weaknesses. Uh, in the beginning of the seminar, I want to uh, turn to John chapter 11. Those of you that have brought your Bibles, John chapter 11, and we're going to just look at a story that I know many of you are already very familiar with. John chapter 11. In John chapter 11, we see Mary and Martha, of course, and Lazarus were very close to Jesus. And when Lazarus got sick, they came to Jesus, right? Expecting that Jesus is going to do something to help. But as we know, Jesus did not come right away, right? He came, how late? Four days late. He came four days late. Now listen, we're going to actually skip to verse 21 when, um, when Jesus finally does show up and Martha goes out to meet him. Uh, John chapter 11, verse 21. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou had been here, my brother would not have died. So, basically, if you'd been here four days ago, Lazarus wouldn't have died. Lord, what happened? Where were you yesterday? But then Martha continues, but I know that even now whatsoever you will ask of God, he's going to give it to you. Amen. I know, you know, if you've been here, this wouldn't have happened. But whatever you ask, God's going to do. Well, listen, what Jesus says, verse 23, thy brother's going to rise again. Can you say amen? amen. Thy brother's going to rise again. But what was Martha thinking? Verse 24. Martha says unto him, I know that he's going to rise again at the resurrection at the last day. Do you see what Martha has done here in this passage? She has expressed a faith in the God of yesterday. If you had been here yesterday, my brother would not have died or four days ago, right? And then Jesus says, well, your brother's going to rise again. Now, was Jesus saying, yeah, in the future he's going to rise again? He was meaning that day, right? But Martha automatically puts it to the future and says, well, I know at the last day he's going to rise again. And this is the same thing that we often do in our own Christian walk and experience. And it was really eye-opening to me when I realized, you know, I have grown up in the church. Many of you have, some of you haven't, but you've heard the Bible stories. You've heard the miracles about what God has done in the past. We believe, look at, well, you know, we serve a God. He opened the Red Sea for the children of Israel. He parted the waters. He's brought down bread from heaven, all these amazing things. We believe in a God of the past. And we also talk a lot about a God that is going to do amazing things in the future. A day is coming when his spirit is going to be poured out. We're going to see miracles. We're going to see people healed. Um, we're going to see people brought back from the dead. We're going to see spiritual, um, spiritual healings in great multitude like we've never seen before. But what about today? Do we serve a God that is living and alive today? Now you will say, amen, that's right. But do we really believe it by how we live our lives and by how we pray? If you look at the story and it goes on, we actually see that Jesus takes Martha to the tomb and the others go as well. But even when he's saying, roll away the stone, Martha is still protesting. Don't roll away the stone. He's going to stink. You don't want to do this. And how many times have we said the same? You know, to Jesus, oh, Jesus, what, what in the world are you doing? <laughs> you can't do that. You know, this is going to be making an even worse mess than we already have. But oftentimes, I have learned in my own life that as it's seeming more and more impossible and more and more sticky, it's almost like this is, this is what Jesus can be most glorified in, in that miracle, in that rolling away the stone. 
And so I want to encourage us as um, we're, we're beginning today to recognize that we serve not just the God of yesterday, he's the God of yesterday, not just the God of the future, he's the God of the future, but we serve a God that is living and alive today. Now, I don't know most of you in this room, I see a few familiar faces, but I don't know the backgrounds that you're coming from, I don't know the impossible situations that you're facing. But we are told in God's word, Mark 10, 27, that the things that are impossible with God are possible. The things, did I say that backwards? The things that are impossible with men are possible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Some of you may have um, heard some of these stories before. Uh, I've, I've included them in Daring to Ask. Uh, but it's good to be reminded, and some of you probably have never heard these before. I just wanted to tell you a brief story about uh, a lady named Jen. First off, there was a house church uh, in Vietnam, and Vietnam is a communist-dominated country, so it's not free for worship like we have here. And there was this group of people that were praying, and they'd been fasting and praying for God to do a greater work among them. And they were really convicted to start praying for this village uh, of, of, of people that lived about 100 miles away. And the reason they were convicted to start praying for this village was because one of the families in the house church group had come from the village, and there was no believers in that village. And they wanted to see, you know, the gospel go to that village. So they started praying and praying. And after a little while, this woman named Yen came to the city where they were. And she was coming from that village, but she came with a serious illness. And she went to the doctors and found out that she had like a terminal stomach cancer, something along that line. And so the prognosis was not good. It, it just basically, you need to go home and set your house in order because you're going to die. Well, she didn't know what to do, but the people that knew her invited her, come, come to our, our, our fellowship. And they introduced her to Jesus, and she discovered that there is a bread and a living life, you know, that nothing, um, even death, can quench. And she began eating the word of life, even though she couldn't eat physically, and, and just eating up the word and falling in love with Jesus. And so it was really exciting because she accepted the Lord. But she was getting sicker and sicker, so she went back to her village, and they, they were praying and praying. They're like, Lord, you have answered our prayer, and you've given us a believer in this village, but now she's dying. You have to do something. Lord, we believe that you're the God that's able to heal and restore and set free. Well, a little time passed, and uh, the sister of Yen called. She was not a believer. Um, but she called uh, the pastor on the phone and, and said, um, you and your, your friends need to prepare to come to a funeral because Yen is dying. The pastor told her, we believe that Yen, um, that we believe that we serve a God that is able to heal, and we've been praying that God would heal Yen. And he told her, we gave uh, Yen a black book, it's called a Bible, go and open that book and turn it to Psalms 30 and read the passages of Psalms 30 and put Yen's name in the passages. That's what this, this uh, house church pastor told um, this woman who's not a believer. Well, the woman was just kind of scoffed at that and said, whatever. You just need to prepare to come to a funeral because she's not going to live much longer. Anyway, they hung up and they kept praying and praying, God, we believe that you can heal. They gathered their things together a couple days later and went to the village, traveled to the village. And when they got to the village, they found out what had happened. Yen had actually died. She died. She was um, being prepared for burial, all wrapped up and cleaned up and all of that. And that woman, who was not a believer, remembered what the pastor had said to her. And she thought, well, doesn't hurt to try, right? She's already dead. What can it hurt? She went and got the Bible, and she opened that passage to Psalms, and she began reading the passage, putting Yen's name in the passages. And while she was reading, do you know that Yen began to move and, and came back to life? Not only did she come back to life, but she was completely healed. Amen. And as a result of that amazing miracle, there is now a group of believers in that village, and that group is growing um, even today. And that mission story actually comes from the Adventist Southeast Asia projects because it was some of their church planters um, that got that group praying together and claiming the promises and believing that we serve a God that is living and alive today. 
You know, well, we don't necessarily see um, these type of raising from the dead all the time. But you know, God wants to raise us from the dead today. And the greatest resurrection that I believe that we need is those dry bones coming back to life, as we're told in Ezekiel 37. He says, I will breathe upon you and, and you shall live. And that is desperately what we need. You know, we talk a lot about prayer in the church, but do we really take time to pray? I believe that we don't. Um, we don't pray for a number of reasons. <laughs> Oftentimes, it's, you know, we're just too tired. But if you look at what happens in the Bible, what happened when the disciples were too tired to pray? You know, we're actually told in Desire of Ages, it was by sleeping when they should have been praying that they actually prepared their way for the great fall. Um, you know, like for Peter when he betrayed Christ, for not being able to stand faithful and running away when the tests come. It was by sleeping when they should have been praying. Another reason often we don't pray is we say, well, God already knows what I'm going to say, so why bother? I've heard people say that. What does it matter if I tell him? Now, probably most of you in here aren't married, but if you were married and your husband or wife said, well, why do I need to tell you I love you or why do I need to tell you such and such you already know would that have a very strong marriage <laughs> no we need to communicate we're actually told um, that we don't have because we don't ask yes um, we need to ask uh, another reason goes along with that whatever's going to happen is going, going to happen do you know that we're actually told that God does not want to destroy the land he does not want to pour out um, the wrath upon the people of the Lamb, but he's looking for intercessors to stand in the gap. He's looking for people that will rise up and say, I'm going to fight for my community, for my church, for my lost loved ones. I'm going to fight. Of course, another one is, is we don't trust God because we say, if he loved me so much, why did he allow this to happen? And that's a big one in our lives today. You don't understand the grief I've been through. You don't understand the pain I've been through. If God loved me, why would he allow this to happen? How can I pray to a God like that? You know, unfortunately, we live in a world that is a battlefield ground of broken lives and hearts. And it's part of the great controversy that we live in. Does that the way that God intended? We're actually told that we need to pray, Matthew 6, 10, that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will is being done in heaven, but it's not being done on earth as it should be, as it is in heaven. And that's what we need to pray. We're also told that he is going to avenge our adversary. I believe that... Um, well, the small belief that we have in the power of prayer is evidenced by the little time we give it. If we truly understood the power of prayer, we would be spending hours on our knees. And this also applies here. The small appreciation we have for the love of God is evidenced by the little time we spend with him each day and the little time we spend leading others to him. I just found this quote this week, and I was just like, wow. This is on the negative side, but we need these wake-up calls. Satan uses the listless, sleepy indolence of professed Christians to strengthen his forces and win souls to his side. Oh, wow. By their failure to be diligent workers for the master, by leaving duties undone and words unspoken, they have allowed Satan to gain control of souls who might have been one for Christ. Are there, your, are there people in your life that might have been one for Christ if you had been willing to pray on their behalf or to fight on their behalf or to befriend them or to do something to share your testimony? There is no such thing as a truly converted person living a helpless, useless life. It's not possible for us to drift into heaven. I don't know about you, but I saw that quote, and I was like, this is serious. You know, we may not all have um, the same tools in our hands. We may not all have the same platform, this or that. But God is calling you to be faithful with what he's given you. And that's the biggest thing. I remember a message um, 
that David Ashrick gave years ago. It was one of the, one of the, like at the second GYC, I think, that we had. And it was called Stir What You Got. I don't know if any of you remember that. Stir what you got. Use what God has given you. And the thing is, is if you use what God has given you, he's going to give you more. You know that he has given each one of us a measure of faith. You may say, well, man, if I just had faith like you, I would, do, I would be praying for this or I would see this or, you know, too. But you know what? God has given each of us a measure of faith and he's saying, use the measure I've given you and I'm going to grow it. I'm going to give you more faith. We need to be responsible for what he has given us. Something I talk a lot about is a term called wilderness Christianity. Some of you may be familiar with this. You know, I believe God called the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, right? Was his purpose to take the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt and to have them set up housekeeping in the wilderness? Was that his purpose? No. His purpose was to take them to the promised land, right? That was his purpose, to take them to that land flowing with milk and honey. And I believe that is also his purpose for us today. His purpose is not just to get us out of the world. Some of us, you know, have come out of the world. Some of us have been raised out of the world or, or we've come out on our own. Um, but the problem is, is we've got stuck in the wilderness. We've got stuck in a, in a, a wilderness existence, living in the desert. And we're excited about the fact of the different things that we're doing in the wilderness because there are some cool things you can do in wilderness living, but that is not the destination that God has intended for us. He wants to take us to the promised land. He doesn't want us to get stick, uh, or stuck in the wilderness. I really believe, though, that many of us are just spiritually surviving um, Christians. Like this, this picture of this woman here, she's just basically living right below the surface, gasping for breath, um, seeking to breathe, and just barely surviving. In councils for the church, we're, we're told most professed Christians have no sense of the spiritual strength that they might obtain were they as ambitious, zealous, and persevering to gain a knowledge of divine things as they are to obtain the perishable things of this life. Many are satisfied to be spiritual dwarfs. Is that our calling, to be spiritual dwarfs? No, this is not our calling. Thus, many will be lost while hoping and desiring to be Christians. They make no earnest effort, and therefore they will be weighed in the balance and found wanting. Now, I share these things not to focus on the negative and just like, oh, I mean, just like, why are you sharing these things? It's so discouraging. But because I believe that we need to awaken to our condition, we need to see sometimes where we've fallen so that we can um, allow God to be what we need. Because until we recognize our need, I'm going to talk a lot about this in the second message, actually, above and beyond humility at the foot of the cross. Until we come to the point where we truly allow God to be who we need, we're not going to come out of that wilderness experience. As long as we think we're okay in the desert, as long as we think we're okay um, doing these different things. And so that's why I'm trying to, to kind of jolt you a little bit. My experience was I grew up in the Seventh-day Adventist church, uh, grew up in a home that was living the lifestyle, the message, all these different things. Um, and I thought I had a pretty, I mean, a pretty good experience, a good life, good family and all of that. But I didn't recognize um, for a long time, especially in the early years, my need. And I remember, I remember reading stories when I was younger about revivals and changed lives and, and these different things. And I thought, wow, that's really, that's really powerful. I, I wish I could see that today. Um, for me... You know, I, I had a happy home life and all of that. I will say this, um, it was a struggle for me going to church when I was a young, you know, teenager. Church was not really that enjoyable to me. My might have been part of the fact I was from a really small church. There wasn't a lot of activity and all of those things. But I just didn't see life. That was the problem. I didn't see life. And so it was a struggle for me. But I felt in my heart that... There must be something more. And I praise God because of the faithfulness of my parents and their prayers and different people that God brought through my life. I didn't just walk away from the church, even though I felt like it many times. Um, we're told, I'm going to share more of my testimony later. 
We're told, I will pour water, I put this in my place, upon the woman that is thirsty, and I will pull out, pour floods upon her dry grounds. And uh, through a series of circumstances, which I'm going to be sharing more testimonies later on, God began to open my eyes to my need. And I was like, Lord, I need a deeper experience with you. I don't know how to pray like I should. I don't know how to study my Bible like I should. I mean, I'm, I'm doing it because I know it's the right thing to do. Am I really getting anything from it? I mean, yeah, I, th I think God blesses the feeble attempts that we make, okay? Even if you're not that deep Bible student, I, I'm not that deep Bible student. I'm always striving for more of that. But I just want to say God blesses, even if you're not there yet, don't get discouraged. Get in God's word because he can change you. But I'm recognizing in the early part of my life, and this is probably where a lot of you are as well, it was a superficial experience. It was a <clears throat> very superficial experience when God wanted to do so much more. But I praise the Lord. He promises, this is one of my favorite promises in John 10.10, I am come that they might have life and life more abundantly. This is God's promise to us. This is what he's calling us to is life and life more abundant. Wherever you are, God wants to grow you. He wants to give you a richer experience, a deeper experience in the things of his word. Now, if you're familiar with this verse, you know there's a first part of this verse that I did not put on the screen. And it says, the enemy comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. Yes. And his attack is to do everything that he can to keep us from experiencing this life. But God says, I come to give you life and life more abundant. And he is more powerful than all the forces of the enemy. So in a nutshell, um, as I began seeking out and crying after God and just saying, Lord, I, I'm not where I need to be. Help me. And it was actually through a series of um, very painful circumstances and events, which I'm going to share in tomorrow's message, trusting God even when he's silent, even when you don't understand what he's doing. It was through these things that I actually was jolted up to, to awaken to my need because basically I came to such a low point in my life, I hit rock bottom. And I'm going to talk about that tomorrow. But I began crying out and saying, God, you have to help me. I'm, I'm not where I should be. And as he began to grow me, and this actually, this whole, this whole transition in my life actually just took place back in 2006, 2007. So it wasn't that long ago. This is still very recent. But since that time, since I began asking God, please show me what to do. Show me how to move forward. I feel like I've basically been put on a roller coaster adventure in a good way with God. And it's just been going and going. I mean, I cannot believe. It's just so amazing to me what God has been doing. Um, so much as I was saying in the beginning, above and beyond what I would have uh, imagined or dreamed for my own life. Now, I'm going to share a few testimonies. Um, Again, some of you may have heard some of these things before, but just to give you a little bit more how God began to um, awaken me uh, to the power in prayer. I don't know how many of you um, grew up with the desire to be in the army or something like that. Probably not a lot of you, but I always find some in the audience that have. Um, but I love this quote from Christian Service that says, It's not ministers alone who are soldiers, but every man and woman who is enlisted in Christ's army is a soldier. That means every single one of us, if we've enlisted in Christ's army, we are a soldier. Now, we cannot fight this battle in our own strength. You know why we are having so much problem and we are constantly falling and failing and, and having all these issues in our lives? It's because we're trying to fight in our own strength. We're not putting on the armor that God has given us, and we are constantly falling. We're told that the soul must be barricaded by prayer and study of the scriptures. Armed with these weapons, Jesus encountered our wily foe on the field of battle and overcame him. Armed with these weapons. We have been given the weapons, and I'm going to talk more about that. Anyway, I grew up having no desire whatsoever <laughs> to be in an army or, or physical things like that. I was always very much a girly girl, loved um, those type of things, and battles and conflict I would rather stay away from. 
But I have recognized as God has been growing me that he's called us to a spiritual battle. Incidentally, it's kind of interesting because a few years ago, um, how many of you have heard of Pastor Ivor Myers? Most of you have heard of him. He uh, just has an amazing testimony of how God delivered him um, from the entrapments of Egypt and the world and the hip-hop music industry. And now, of course, he teaches, shares his testimony worldwide and teaches people um, about finding Christ in the scriptures. And I'm going to share a little bit more about that later. But God planted in his heart the vision of starting um, a Bible camp training program. And so back in 2008... Um, we started brainstorming about this idea. It actually happened at the GYC. It was 2008 at the GYC that we were attending. And we were like, you know, we hear all these amazing speakers. We go to GYC and, and the profound things they're sharing from the front and, and the deep truths that they're sharing. What if we actually started a program to teach people how to study the Bible for themselves so that they could go and find some of those truths for themselves rather than just always having to hear it? It's good to hear it. But I want to know how he found that. I want to know what his personal Bible study habits are. How are these things coming together? So this, this uh, concept um, Pastor Myers dreamed about and then, and then pulled a few of us together and we started talking. And very quickly this ministry came together called Army Bible Camp. Army, by the way, is two words put together. Arm me. Okay, arming people with tools for biblical revival. Um, and so... When we were first starting the ministry, um, we planned the, the first conference a few months out in advance, and we were told, you, you should give yourselves more time. You know, this, isn't, this is too fast for you to pull off such a conference, because we were hoping to have two or 300 people coming. Well, as we got closer and closer to the conference, we realized maybe we had made big, big mistakes, because coming up to the conference just a couple weeks out, we only had like 40 people, 45 people registered. And we're like, Lord, you're going to have to bring the people. We obviously don't know how to do this. And so we started praying, and praise God, um, he worked. And by the time that first conf um, by the time the meeting started, we had over 300 people uh, registered. And that is the very first conference right there that we hosted with the Army Bible Camp. However, another important thing happened along the way. There was a girl in our midst called Melissa. Melissa's been here at GYC and helped lead prayer ministry in the past. So some of you may have met her. Melissa was really convicted that we needed to have a time of united prayer every morning before we started the meetings, just like you had this morning um, here with GYC. And um, so she told our team, you know, let's, let's have this time of prayer. Well, when are we going to do it? You know, the devotional's at 7 o'clock. And she said, well, we should, we should do it at 6 o'clock in the morning. Well, how are we going to get people there at 6 o'clock? We're just hoping we can get them there at 7 o'clock for the devotional. I have to admit, I was one of the people that questioned that this was, was this a very good idea. But finally we agreed, well, we can offer it, nobody has to come, right? So we offered this, and um, the first morning we had probably 20 people that came, the next morning 40, the next 60, by the end of the conference, it's, it's a four, four and a half day conference, um, same time frame as GYC, by the end of conference we had over 100 people meeting together and praying. In, that, in the morning, and it was powerful. It was powerful just with that group that we had. I remember we had grown men that were weeping and, and pleading that God would do a deeper work in their lives. Um, we saw miracles happen as a result of that prayer time, and, and, and we remember, we were talking about it, you know, like, Lord, forgive us. You know, we are, we are told um, that our church should be called a house of prayer, right? Of all things, we are told we should be a house of prayer. But so often, it's a house of other things. It's a house of entertainment. It's a house of sermons. It's a house of this and that. And yes, we need preaching the word and everything. But prayer is often just a little 30-second thing that we sandwich everything else around. We need so much more prayer. And so we began to recognize um, that God wanted to do uh, more than we, than we understood as a result of that first conference. Something else that happened, we were really praying that first conference. We are like, Lord, you know, we've stepped out in faith. We didn't have the funds to do this. We need you to provide. If you want us to go forward, we need you to provide. Now, we had like 300-some people, and we needed to raise $10,000 as a free will offering um, if we were to go forward. And so we were praying, God, please help us. At that conference, God brought in over $35,000. <laughs> And he showed us very clearly, I want you to go forward with this work. 
So we were so convicted by what we saw, saw happen during that first prayer conference that at the next prayer con, uh, or at the next Army Bible Camp, we decided not only are we going to have united prayer every morning, we're going to have a prayer room going all day long. And we invited the attendees to come in and pray with us, and we began praying with them and for them. And as a result of this, we began seeing more and more miracles happen. Just a few uh, testimonies. I remember this young girl that came to us. She was 14 at the time, and she had not prayed more than five minutes a day. That was basically just, dear Lord, help me, blah, 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 amen. And so her mom kind of drug her to the prayer room. She came into the prayer room, and she stayed an hour. She came back the next day, and she stayed for eight hours. And at the end of the time, she told the prayer leaders, she said, I'm going to go back to my church and start two prayer groups. So this was a 14-year-old girl. And she told us, she says, you know, I've been to lots of Bible conferences. I've, I've attended different things growing up, but I always felt like something was missing. And now I see what it is. It's the power of prayer. We had another um, young man came to us. He was 21 years old. He had been smoking since he was 13. He wanted to quit, but he'd never been able to quit. So he just kept smoking. Um, of course, while he was there at the camp, we can't have smoking on the premises. And so after a little while, he needed to smoke. And he's like, what do I do? One of our teammates took him to the prayer room and said, let's just pray. Do we believe that we serve a God that's able to deliver us from those addictions? Amen. We do. But so often we don't allow him to because we don't grasp a hold of his arm of strength and we don't allow him to. So this young man was in the prayer room praying and praying and praying. And it came time for lunch, and um, our teammate that had taken him in said, do you want to go with us to eat lunch? It's time to eat. And the young man says, no, I need to pray. I need to keep praying. So he was in there a couple more hours. He stayed in there about four hours that day. And at the end, he came out, and he says, I don't have any desire to smoke. God's taken it away. And he was there the rest of the conference. No more desire to smoke. God delivered him from that addiction. We had another man that came to us. He was struggling with another problem. He was a married man, and he had an eye problem, or I'd say a lust problem. And he didn't tell us what the problem was. He was just praying silently. You know, when we, we have these um, times of prayer, we're encouraging people to keep um, their private sins private and just between them and God. And corporately, we confess those things that we're guilty of as a church corporately. So he was praying on his own and wrestling and just praying and spending a lot of time in the prayer room, just pleading that God would give him victory. Finally, after three days of spending some significant time in the prayer room, he felt like God had given him a new heart, you know, that he, a new mind. Do we believe that God is able to do that? Yes, he is. He says he can change our hearts. He can give us a new heart. You can have a lust problem, an addiction problem, this problem, that problem. God is able to change our hearts. That's what I keep sharing. You know, different people come to me with different questions, and they're like, well, Miss Melody, I have this problem. What do I do about this? And you know what? My answer is the same for everyone that comes to me with all their different situations and issues. God is able. You start claiming his promises, claiming his word, removing those things in your life that are roadblocks between him and you. And I'm going to talk about that more in the next session, removing those roadblocks. And he will work. He will deliver. He will set you free. So what happened with this young man that... Um, that had this eye problem. He also had a vision problem and the fact that he couldn't see without glasses. Um, but it was amazing because that day when he felt like God had given him a new heart, of course, this was all still private. We didn't know anything that was going on. He was walking to Bible class and he suddenly realized he was not wearing his glasses. God had not only given him a clean heart, he had healed his vision as well at the same time. And that's just a practical illustration to me of the fact that God is wanting to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. As Ephesians 3.20 says, that's my very favorite Bible verse, yeah. Ephesians 3.20. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. It's not our power, it's his power. It is him that does this, that gets the victory. And so testimonies go on and on and on. I could tell you about marriages that have been restored um, as answers to prayer, families that have been brought back together. Uh, there's this young man here in the center um, that came to our camp last year, I think it was, and he was so depressed. 
He didn't even want to live. Very, very struggling with very, very bad depression. Some of you may have struggled with depression and you know if you've been there, it's like a pit you cannot get out of. But he came somehow and we surrounded him in prayer. He probably spent like 30 some hours in the prayer room over that conference. And at the end, he came out a new man. He went back to his church. He began sharing what he had learned. You know, when God does something for us, one of the best ways not to lose what he has done for us is to go and share it. We need to testify of God's goodness in our lives. We need to share the great things that he has done for us. Amen. Just like when Jesus healed those demoniacs, he said, go back and tell your friends what great things God has done for you. So he went back and shared. He started a prayer ministry in his church, um, started going around speaking and sharing. He started working on raising funds for a health center in Panama because that's originally where he's from, and he has friends and family in Panama. Already God is doing an amazing work through this man. In fact, I think he might even be here with us at GYC. It's really exciting. Another individual that we met um, came to another conference that we had. And to be honest, when I met this individual, I didn't know if this was a boy or a girl. But this is a girl. She had been living as a lesbian for the last 15 years. And she really didn't have any real conviction to let go of it. But she knew she was missing something. And she knew she needed something from God. So she came to our conference. Well, um, we, our, our big focus was, and this should be the focus of everywhere you go, is leading people to the foot of the cross and to Jesus, to a personal relationship with him. Because when we do that, Jesus is able to change. His Holy Spirit will convict of those things that need. It's not about pre preaching health reform or diet reform or all these different things. Those are important, and I believe that we do need to be educated on those, but our focus first should always be on Jesus and what he has done and who he is for us because only he can change our hearts. Amen. You can tell me how I need to dress, but if God doesn't change my heart, does my acceptable dress matter anything to God? It has to come from a hard experience. Our lifestyle choices, our whatever we're doing, has to come from a personal conviction and, and, and heart surrender to God because otherwise... Um, it's just dead works. We're told if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So she was convicted as she sought that closer walk with Christ that she needed to give her life to God. And as she was convicted to do that, she was also convicted that she needed to change her lifestyle. No one told her she needed to do that. The Holy Spirit told her. She knew. And she changed. And she is still growing and changing um, today. We're told a revival of true godliness among us is the greatest and most urgent of all our needs. To seek this should be our first work. There must be an earnest effort to obtain the blessing of the Lord, not because God is not willing to bestow his blessing upon us, but because we are unprepared to receive it. It is our work by confession, confession by humiliation, repentance, and earnest prayer to fulfill the conditions upon which God has promised to grant us his blessing. A revival need be expected only in answer to prayer. Do you know why GYC has so much emphasis at prayer here this year? <clears throat> it's because we're pleading for that revival. Amen. We know it's coming. And we're also told um, when it comes, there's going to be showers falling, but there are going to be some that's going to be falling around that aren't even going to recognize it. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss that, Amen. that outpouring when it comes. To have our hearts prepared, to have our hearts ready, we need to be on our knees seeking God as never before and seeking and asking him to change our hearts and prepare our hearts so that we do not miss that revival. I could share a lot more testimonies about what um, I've seen God do um, as we have gone through the different conferences over the years. Um, and my purpose is not to promote ARMY, but to give you some background on different things I saw happening in the ministry, things that I had never seen happening before in any other group or conference. And I began saying to myself, Lord, you know, these are things that I have prayed to be part of and I've never experienced before. 
But Lord, I don't want to just see it happen in this corporate sense. I want to see it happen in my own life as well. I want to see lives changed um, as I surrender to you. I want to see people that I prayed for come to you. And so God just began convicting me that what he's doing in a large sense as we come together as a people, he, he wants to do for each one of us. And this is still a prayer that I'm praying that he will do in my life. Um, some of you may have heard of, of a man called Praying Hyde, um, the apostle of prayer. There's a whole book written, in fact, several of them, I think, on, on, on the life of John Hyde. He was actually a missionary to India, went to India to serve the Lord back in the 1800s, and really wanting to make a difference for God, um, but wasn't having a lot of effect initially. But then he began praying, and then he began really praying. And as he did, he began seeing God work. But this is the part that I want to share of his testimony. There was a point in his life where he was really convicted to start praying that God would bring one person a day to the gospel as a result of his life and witness. And so he started praying. And, you know, he, he decided to pray for the next year that God would bring one person to the truth. And as he started praying, people were like, you know, that's a really presumptuous prayer. What do you think you're, you know, doing? But he was convicted. Would God not like to see one person brought to the truth every day because of our life and witness? Would he not like to see 10,000 souls brought to the truth because of our life and witness? He has infinitely above, you know, what we dare to, to think or pray. Anyway, so he started praying, and over that next year, he saw over 300 people, I think over 400 people, come to a personal relationship with Jesus because of his life and testimony. Well, the next year, he was convicted to not just pray for one soul a day. He was convicted to start praying for two souls a day. And again, people were like, you know, that's pretty presumptuous. But he fasted and prayed, and he felt like that's, that's the challenge that God was asking him to pray for. You know, God tells us to prove him, to test his word, to see what he will do. Anyway, so he started praying, and again, God worked. He brought over 800 people to the Lord that year. The next year, instead of praying for three souls, he actually, he actually asked for four. And it was after weeks of agonizing prayer that he actually prayed that bold, pra that bold prayer request. And God worked powerfully. Now, the story of praying Hyde really, really challenges me. I have never seen somebody in my generation that I would, that I would say had that kind of prayer life. Um, he had such an intense passion and desire of, in his heart. Not just for his own issues and situations and problems. We get so muddled in our own issues we can't even stand strong for anybody else because we have so many of our own things. And I'm going to talk about how to clear some of those things next in the next, in the next lesson or session. Anyway, but he had such a strong passion that he actually had a very rare medical condition where his heart shifted from the left side of his chest partway into his right. Um, that it's supposedly caused in extreme, extreme cases of stress. And as a result, he died still at a young age. And I really believe he died with a broken heart for the lost because he just wept and prayed so much that, to see souls come into the kingdom. And I think, wow, you know, like, Lord, forgive me. I don't have that passion that I should for the lost. But you know what? His story really inspired me because I was like, this was back in maybe 2011 or 2012 when I first read his testimony. And I was like, Lord, I don't have the faith to ask for one soul a day, but I want to see you working in my life every day, you know. I want to see you answering prayers every day. I want to see that you're real and alive in my life each day. So I began testing and, and challenging God and saying, I want to see answered prayers in my life every day, not just answered prayers like, thank you for waking me up this morning. Okay, I've had my answered prayer for the day. <laughs> That's not the type of answered prayer I'm talking about. You know, we don't realize all the things God does for us every day that we take for granted. But I'm talking about serious prayers. And as I began praying this prayer, um, and, and not just praying the prayer, but seeking to align my life to his word and claiming the promises. Oh, this is so, so powerful. I'm not going to go into it real depth here. Um, but this afternoon, in this afternoon session, when I talk about growing in a, an above and beyond, above and beyond devotional life, I'm going to talk much more about the power of praying the word. But this has really turned my life around. 
because in the early part of my life, I shared briefly this morning, I had a good life, but it was kind of a, a, an up and down life in my walk with God. When I felt like he was close, he was close. When I went to a GYC or, or some spiritual event, um, he was close, right? But when I didn't feel him or things were struggling, he was far away. It was very, very much a roller coaster spiritually until God began to teach me that I can trust his word. I can be rooted and founded in his word. It doesn't matter what's happening around me. It doesn't matter how impossible the mountain looks in front of me or what is happening. I can trust his word. And I began praying his word. I put together this, um, this whole notebook of different promises. Uh, and I just began praying them over different things in my life that I was struggling with. And I'm like, Lord, you said such and such. And here you say this. And I'm holding you to your word. You know, Ellen White says, I have these different um, quotes from inspiration that are so powerful. I actually have uh, some of the best ones, uh, 10 pages together, that you can actually download off of um, my website, Daring to Ask for More. And I'll share more about that at the end. But the different things that she says, the honor of God's throne is staked for the fulfillment of his word. Amen. Did you know that? The honor, of his God, the honor of his throne is staked for the fulfillment. We're told um, that there's no danger that the Lord will neglect the prayers of his people. The danger is in temptation and trial. They will fail to persevere in prayer. That's the greatest danger. Not that he's going to neglect us, but that we don't persevere. We don't hold on. That comes from Christ Object Lessons 175. So I just began to accumulate these promises, and I just began to pray. And what I would do, <clears throat> I'm going to talk, talk about this more in detail later, but I would put um, my prayer request on little cards, like on a keychain. And I would have a prayer request on one card, and I would have a Bible promise on the other card. And I would be praying these in the morning, or as I went through the day, or in the evening, or, or whenever God prompted me. And as God began answering the prayers, I would take the cards off and fold them up and put them in a jar. And as I did that, my faith was growing because I was looking and seeing, look at, look at what God's done. I mean, I don't, I, maybe I don't see right this moment what he's doing, but look at what he's done. And so I began claiming these promises. And as I did, um, I began seeing more and more miracles and answers to prayer. And it was just amazing. Oh, wow, I'm running out of time. I still have so much to share. So anyway... Um, I, as, when I made the challenge, I want to see God answer a prayer every day in my life, I began to record, and I began to see. Seriously, every single day, God was answering prayers in some specific way. About the time that I started making this challenge, I really stepped away from what I was doing in um, work. I didn't share earlier, but I'm a registered nurse. I graduated from Southern um, Adventist University in 2003 and started working as a nurse. Um, but as time went on and we got involved with the prayer ministry and all of that, I began to realize that God was calling me into full-time ministry and so I couldn't keep working. And so that meant stepping away from a, a regular paycheck and, and a stable income and, and funds and all of that. And so I began claiming this promise in Matthew 6, 31. He says, take no thought what you shall eat or drink. You know, the sparrows are taken care of, the lilies of the field are clothed. How much more does your heavenly father care about you? So I was like, okay, God, you have to prove yourself. And I had this take no thought list where I wrote all the different things that I needed. And they're legitimate needs I have. I need to pay car insurance and I need to pay traveling and phone and all these different things. And I just need to see God provide. And um, one of the things I started praying, this might seem really crazy to you, but at the time um, I was living there at home with my family in Arkansas. And we were having this really issue with getting stuck in our driveway because of the mud. We live way out in the country. We don't have paved roads up to our drive, up to our doorstep. And we didn't, you know, I didn't have $500 to pay for a dump truck to come and bring gravel. And so I put on my take no thought list, gravel for my driveway. Would you believe a couple months later, my dad came into the office where I was working and he's like, Melody, can you come help me drive the truck? We need to go down and down to the local church uh, in the community and get some gravel. And I was like, gravel? And he's like, yeah, they, they repaved their parking lot and they have this whole pile of gravel they don't know what to do with. And they called me and said, can you come and get our gravel? And I was like, Daddy, I've been praying for gravel. And he's like, you have? <laughs> so we went and um, we got four truckloads. I think it was four truckloads, four trailer loads, plus a tractor load of free gravel. My mom says, in all the years we've lived here, we've never had free gravel. And I was like, Mom, did you pray for it? <laughs> no. 
But the reason I share this crazy miracle, I saw God providing in so many ways. I could tell you many, many stories. Is God cares about gravel. He cares about the dirt that we walk on. He cares about our needs. But if he cares about our needs, how much more does he care about the salvation of souls? How much more um, does he care to see souls brought into the kingdom? I could share some more uh, miracle stories. I began praying for different people um, that we were ministering to or reaching in the prayer seminars and different things that we were doing. And I saw God work. I saw God um, begin to restore marriages. I saw God bring people back into the church. Um, I remember we hosted this, this get-together at our home. And we, <clears throat> my parents have been in the community. It was kind of considered a, one of those dark counties when they moved into it. In other words, there weren't a lot of believers of any faith initially when they went in. Um, but God has slowly been building up rapport over the years. But even still, we haven't had a lot of people in our home. We haven't had a lot of this type of interaction. But we've been praying and seeking, and we, we hosted this kind of open house get-together, and we had 27 people come from the community, and the majority of them were non-Adventist. And we've seen God, as a result of our prayers, begin to open the doors in the community. And, and now my dad's actually studying with a, a group, uh, a Bible study group there. And when I'm home, I was involved as well, but I've actually moved on from Arkansas to Maryland, so I haven't been around so much. But I began to see God opening doors in all these different ways um, from random text messages. I just threw that up there on the screen. I had this text message conversation with this guy. I thought I was texting a friend, and it turned out to be some stranger that had inherited my friend's number. And it turned out that he was in a very discouraged point in his life when I texted him inviting him to some prayer call. He had no clue what that was about. Um, but I was able to reach out to him and give him a Bible and a great controversy. And I just, be, I just began to see God opening these providential doors in uni unique ways that only God can do, right? Like how could you possibly plan these different things if God was not doing it? And God began to do it. Um, and so I began to see more and more and more how he fulfilled his word and how he brought those promises and things that I was claiming together. I want to share this again, and I shared it briefly last night. One of my favorite quotes. I have lots of favorite quotes if you haven't seen that yet. Steps to Christ, page 94. It says, Prayer is the key in the hand of faith to unlock heaven's storehouse, where are treasured the boundless resources of omnipotence. So, God has given us a key. And the amazing thing is, he's given it to every one of us in this room. Prayer is the key in the hand of faith to unlock heaven's storehouse. He has given us the key. But does the key do any good if we leave it on our shelf? No. Okay, does the key do any good if we take it with us? to church and put it in the pew next to us? Is it going to avail anything? We can even travel with it in our car. We can take it with us to the mission field and put it on the shelf. If we do not actively use this key that God has given us, we're not going to see those windows of heaven opened. We're not going to see that storehouse open. Prayer is the key. And prayer must always be founded on the Word of God, and I'm going to talk more about that later, because we're not just praying our own thoughts and our own ideas and our own fanciful things. We have to be founded upon the Word of God. And we have to found prayer on a faith that's rooted in the Word of God. Prayer is the key, and what did that, what did that passage say that I just shared with you? Prayer is the key in the hand of faith. Okay? So God has given us the key... We can stick it in the lock, but if we do not have faith to turn the key, are we going to see things happen that we're praying for? You know, like I said before, God takes what we, our feeble efforts, he meets us where we are. So I don't want any of you to be discouraged because you're not a John Hyde or you're not here. I want to encourage you to take what God has given you and dare to ask for more because God wants to do more. Take that key that he has given and turn the key and see what God will do. You know, we are running out of time um, in this world. We're, we're, you see what's happening around us. In fact, 
I don't know if you, some of you saw this a while back, the end is near on Time Magazine, and I thought, wow, are the rocks actually crying out? Are the rocks actually crying out and telling us that the end, of near, end is near? God has told us. The end is near, stealing upon us so stealthily, so imperceptibly, so noiselessly, like a muffled tread of the thief in the night to surprise the sleepers off guard and on ready. May the Lord grant to bring his Holy Spirit upon hearts that are now at ease, that they may no longer sleep as do others, but watch and be, and be sober. Christians should be preparing for what is soon to break upon the world as an overwhelming surprise. And this preparation, how are we supposed to make? By stocking up our pantry with lots of survival goods? No. <laughs> by building a cave in the wilderness? No, we are to make this preparation by diligently studying the Word of God and striving to conform our lives to its precepts. The time has come for a thorough reformation to take place. When this reformation begins, the spirit of prayer will actuate every believer. There's going to be a spirit of prayer, and it will banish from the church the spirit of discord and strife. Do we need that right now? We need that spirit of prayer that is going to banish the spirit of discord and strife. I'm going to share, I'm, I'm going to skip this last, actually I'm going to skip this story and go to my favorite um, of all. Some of you may have heard this, um, but for those of you that haven't heard, Alexander the Great, this testimony I just love. We've all heard of Alexander the Great, right? He was the mighty conqueror that lived before the time of Christ. But what is not so well known that he was also known as being a compassionate ruler. And one day out of every year, he would invite different subjects from his kingdom, and they could come and ask him whatever he wanted or whatever they needed. And he, usually he would grant the request. This one year, this man came before his throne along with many others, and different people were asking for different things. Some were asking for food. Some were asking for money for clothes. Some were asking for money to send their kids to school, different things. But this one man had a different request. And he told the spokesman that was talking to the king, he said, can you tell the king I want a palace? Now the spokesman was like, how can you ask for a palace? You can't ask for a palace. Who do you think you are? Look at what these different people are asking for. And he says, no, I want a palace and I want it to be fully furnished and I want a large banquet hall prepared because I have lots of friends. And he started giving him all these specifics of what he wanted. And the spokesman was getting more and more outraged because how can you ask for this? <clears throat> Well, King Alexander saw the commotion, and he said to the spokesman, what is that man asking for? So he went up, and he told the king, and he whispered in his ear, and he says, he's asking for a palace. But I told him he can't have to ask for a palace. He needs to, you know, be more reasonable. But King Alexander thought about that for a moment. And then he smiled, and he sat up a little straighter, and he says, request granted. The spokesman says, how can you grant that request? The king says, you see what all these people are asking me for? Anybody with a little extra means could supply their needs. But this only this is the first man that has made me feel like the king that I am because only I can grant his request. Now think about this. We serve the king of the universe. We serve the one who we're told in Jeremiah 32:17 has stretched out the heavens by his great power. There's nothing too hard for him. That's what the Bible tells us. There's nothing too hard for God. Nothing. And yet so often we settle for superficial blessings and super, superficial work in our lives. God cares about the details, okay? So don't think he doesn't care about your lost keys. He's helped me find lost keys. He cares about the gravel that I walk on, right? He cares about those details, but he does not want us to stop with asking for those things. He wants us to dare to ask for more. And so I want to encourage you, as we close this first session today, to grasp a hold of that key. We're told all who consecrate soul, body, and spirit to God will be constantly receiving a new endowment of physical and mental power. The exhaustible, is that what it says? No. The inexhaustible supplies of heaven are at their command. Christ gives them the breath of his own spirit. The life of his own life, the Holy Spirit puts forth its highest energies to work in heart and mind. Through cooperation with Christ, they are complete in him. This is us. We are complete in him. And in our human weakness, we are enabled to do the deeds 
of omnipotence. So let's prove him, test his words, and see if he will not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, forgive us for our little faith. Father, forgive us for not seeking you earnestly, knowing and believing that you are the God that you say that you are in your word. Forgive us for not trusting you, both with the little details and with the mountains that we think are impossible to move, because with you nothing is impossible. Father, we give our hearts to you right now. Give us strength to dare to ask for more. Not for our glory. This isn't about physical palaces in this lifetime. It's about spiritual palaces for your kingdom and your glory. Please help us, Father. We desperately need you. Thank you for hearing this prayer in your precious name. Amen. This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference when all has been heard in Houston, Texas. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.